From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently and playing, too. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And Terry and I finally met in person. We sure did. It was the best. It was the best. So many hugs. So many hugs. So many hugs. Well, now I have to see you again soon when I'm not getting married and like running around like an insane person. (laughs) When I hadn't had like an 18 hour day from hell. (laughs) Oh, so bummer. But you were there. That's all that mattered. And you were, Steve was like, I'm sorry, was was Terry wearing that cool sweater the whole time? I'm like, no, he wore it just to get a picture with me. And then he took it Uh off. I did. Um, it was too hot. It was, yeah. I'm always uh, way yeah. too hot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, I guess, so besides my wedding, uh, this week we're talking about an epic cringe comedy, which is a TV sequel to a movie, Scary White Women, an upcoming multiplayer horror game, and time-traveling bears. Yes, we got a lot. But before we do, I also have a story. Okay, yes. That yes. I... Yes, obliquely shared on Twitter at one point, and I, I it was a blink and you miss it moment on Twitter. But uh, so I wake up uh, last week, and uh, my phone is on do not disturb for the entire like night when I go to bed, and I wake up and um, I have four missed texts and four phone calls from my roommate, who is downstairs, live upstairs, she's downstairs. And they are a progression of, like, there's someone outside. Please wake up. I don't know what to do. I've called the police. (laughs) And four missed calls. And a tag on Twitter. And 
I find out that I slept through this entire thing, that she woke up at four in the morning because Riggins, her dog, who sleeps in her bed, was growling nonstop. And she had gone up to go use the restroom. And she thought she heard a man's voice outside, but she couldn't quite tell where the voice was coming from. And so she let Riggins outside to go do his thing and pee and everything. And he just would not have it. He ran to the corner of the yard where there's like a fence and just was barking, 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 barking. She could not get him inside. She turned on the light to see what was over there that was causing Riggins to go ape shit. And then she sees a man stumble out of the shed. And her immediate response, which makes sense, was, what the fuck, dude? And I guess he was was drunk or something, and his response was, I don't have a place to go. And apparently he tried to go up to the, the fence, because like our yard is like half-fenced and half-not in the backyard, and the and the, the shed is in the not-fenced part. And he stuck his hand into the fence, his slats, and I think Riggins bit him. Um, but yeah, that was uh, what I missed, like four days before going to see Mary Beth for her wedding. Did the cops come? Yeah, apparently the cops came. And, you slept uh, through this whole went thing? Went and checked out there. Slept through the whole thing. You might ask yourself, why didn't she knock on my door? Because that's the question I asked her. And she said, well, I didn't want to wake you. And I'm like, four texts, four phone calls, a tag on Twitter. Didn't want to make wake me. Just wake me next time. Anytime there is... A creepy ass man outside. Please wake me. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um. So what is this epic? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So epic cringe comedy. I watched Triangle Sadness. Okay. How Which how was that? Loved. Really? Absolutely okay. loved. Okay. It's two and a half hours, and yeah. at the end of it, I wanted to sit down and watch it again. Okay. It was so good. Oh. I do wish that the trailers didn't like spoil everything because the trailers basically I haven't watched the trailer. it's a story in Oh, you haven't? Mm-mm. So it's a story in three parts, and I'm not going to go into each three parts in case, like you said, you haven't seen the trailer. But it's basically, it follows, for the most part, it follows um, this uh, pair of models, um, Carl and Yaya, who are dating. And they, like, get an influencer pass to go on this luxury cruise. And so we sort of see their life a little bit before the cruise, where he's, like, auditioning for... Um, to be a model for uh, Balenciaga. And there's this little funny bit about fashion, about how like, well, you know, Balenciaga is dead serious. We're looking down on you. Whereas something that's cheap, like H&M is all smiley. And so the, one of the interviewers is like, now Balenciaga. And so he like, and he's like, H&M, Balenciaga, and H&M, and Balenciaga. And it's like this, this little bit of funny, humor on fashion and that continues throughout the rest of the movie where they get on the boat we follow them we follow a bunch of people that are uh on this really expensive cruise and we follow the people working it and it becomes this sort of like how did i describe it i think on litterbox i said that it's like uh, a cringe comedy of forced politeness gone awry because things start to happen on this boat where like they run into bad weather and people start projectile vomiting and the boat starts rocketing. Like it is like, it, it's just so funny. It's so funny. And the places it goes and the way it dis- it like tackles social hierarchies is really interesting and who has power in what, in what form of it. And I just, I love this movie so much. It's by Ruben Ostland. I don't know how to pronounce yeah, his last name. He did name. the square. He did, which I, I've not seen any of his movies because he did The Square and he also did Force Majeure. Yeah, I haven't seen any of it. The thing is, I haven't seen any of them. I know of them, but I haven't seen any of them either. This made me want to go watch <laughs> them. Like, this was so good. This was so good. Okay, and two and a half hours, it's not, it doesn't, it needs to be that long? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. So, because... I was, like, doubtful. But... Well, because I'm off... We're recording this on Wednesday, and I'm off the rest of the week. So, I like, I want to see Tar, and I want to see this. And so I'm trying to figure out what to see at... 
near near me because I've only one. I highly it. recommend this one. Okay. It's it's really good and oh funny story. Uh, so I went to go see it at Alamo and one of the um, actresses who um, plays a uh, she plays Abigail. Her name is Dolly De Leon. They had an interview with her prior to the movie and um, she was talking about they were asking her what kind of what movie she would like to to like create of, of like a remake and she's like well it's the movie that scarred me for life as a kid and she mentioned the exorcist and i'm like okay we've already covered it but dolly de leon if you want to come on our podcast and talk about the exorcist we'll do it again. please do <laughs> she was really good in the movie hell yeah i really want to see it i'm like trying to play catch up on like movies and stuff that are out because i feel like i only ever see horror and i want to i like want to try yeah. to see things that are a little bit not in that lane. Mm-hmm. And this reminded me how much I missed like adult-oriented dramas and comedies yeah. that are not like horror and not blockbusters. Yeah. Like this was, this really did it for me. Hell yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about witches though. Witches. So I I watched the movie that is called Two Witches. Okay. And this is directed by Pierre Sigaridis. Cigar- I'm so sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly. Uh, but this is an Arrow release. I had been hearing a little bit about it. I know that somewhat a few people that we know, including Joe Lips, that really liked it. So I thought, let's give it a try. It's pretty good. Is it? Yeah. So the the movie is split up into two parts. Similar. It's like split up into two parts and follow. It's following a witch trying to get what is hers in very violent ways and there are two parts to the story that involve the witch and then her granddaughter and it's i'm trying to think of how to describe it because it's like a very weird atmospheric movie where like it almost feels like it almost feels like a suspiria or a phenomena and the way that the acting is a okay. little bit stilted and it's not always great but the visuals are really fucked up and like the whole conceit is very fucked up. And there's a lot of like very loosely kind of discussed lore, but not really. It's more of like you're thrown into the middle of the story and kind of just figuring out what it is. But there's a lot of um, visuals of babies being eaten. Oh, um, gnarly. It's, it's really, it's, it's much more upsetting than I thought it was going to be. And it's really, really well done. Um, if you're looking for a good witch movie, I recommend something like this. Like, if you were, if you didn't like the Suspiria 2018 remake as much, I would try this out because it definitely still has Suspiria vibes, um, but much more disturbing and much more just like okay. generally upsetting imagery. And I watched it. It was the this was the only horror movie I watched on Halloween because that was the day after our wedding, and I slept for most of that day. But I watched Two Witches, and it was a very good Halloween movie to watch. The second half is my favorite. Um, the stories are interconnected, but like the second one, I think is the is even more well done and even more upsetting in some of the ways okay. the, the ways the story twists and turns. So. Um, I think it's playing on the on the Arrow player like on Arrow right now. So if you're looking for like a good grotesque scary witch movie, uh, I think this is definitely one you should check out. Cool. Yeah, I have the screener. I got it like the week before uh, your wedding, and I just I ran out of time to watch it. So I'm I'm glad to hear that it's really good. Side note: I think we can get the director on. Ooh. Yeah, it's I I liked it quite a bit. A lot of the cool. practical effects are really good. So Awesome. I'd love to hear that. Yes. Um, but then a TV sequel to a movie. Yes. So we talked uh, about James Gunn uh, a couple. Two, I guess. Right? A sl- Slither, a.k.a. Heidi Klum's fucking worm costume on Halloween. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I loved her worm costume, by the way. That was so fantastic. Um. But yeah, so we talked about James Gunn, and then uh, I'd been meaning to watch Peacemaker, and Kate Miles, a friend of the show um, and Patreon subscriber, like reached out to us and was like, hey, if you hadn't seen Peacemaker, 
you should watch it if you like James Gunn's stuff. And I've been meaning to. And so on my trip to go see you, I downloaded Peacemaker and I downloaded Cabinet of Curiosities. And I'll talk about Cabinet of Curiosities, I think, next episode. Yeah, good. Because I've pop, watched all I'll of it. I'll have them all finished by next time we talk. Because I'm only about four episodes <laughs> yeah. in. Um, but yeah, so I watched Peacemaker. And let me tell you, this show is is everything that I love to see from James Gunn. It has... Uh, so it follows, it basically picks up where the Suicide Squad left off. Mm, okay. And have you, you've seen Suicide, the Suicide Squad, right? I have seen the Suicide Squad. I have not watched Peacemaker, but yes. So, spoiler alert, Peacemaker dies at the end. Yeah. But he doesn't die. Yeah. And he is in a hospital recovering, and then he returns home, and he discovers that there is, like, this black ops team uh, that is like a fragment of the people that were working for Amanda Waller, um, as well as a couple newcomers, have this new mission that they need him for. And again, it's this similar kind of conceit to uh, the Suicide Squad, where it's like you have a bomb in your head, you're either going to go back to jail, or you're going to do what we say, or we're going to blow your head off. Um, and so he gets wrapped up in another a big project, like, it's funny because, like, there's a, there's a running joke about how, like, Project Starfish was actually it, the the project about in the Suicide Squad, which is actually about a giant starfish. And so this project is called Project Butterfly. And he's like, what? Are we are we fighting Mothra? And he's like, I need a jetpack if I'm fighting Mothra. And like, you're not fighting Mothra. And he's like, but I, can I have a jetpack anyway? But, like, it has this sort of, like, it's all of the episodes are written by James Gunn and he directs a lot oh, of them, cool. not all of them but a lot of them. And it has like, this is like James Gunn's humor. Like I, I we kind of talked about how I was, I was a little sad to see his like edges sort of sanded down for Marvel. Well, they're, <laughs> they're not, this is like classic James Gunn humor. Uh, and I think fans of like the P or if, uh, the fans of the suicide squad will enjoy this humor as okay. well as it continues on. It's a little edgy, but it still is full of heart. It's about found family. It's about these, these, very disparate people having to come together for this mission that is about saving the world again. But it's like, it's funny. It's, um, it somehow makes Peacemaker, um, understandable. Like, cause like huh. part of the thing is he, he wakes up and he finds out that everyone thinks that he's a racist and everyone thinks that he's this horrible person. And you start to like unravel the story of him and you find a little bit about his like life, as a child where his father was the super villain who is also a white supremacist. And you start to like unravel oh. bits of pieces about his past and him coming to terms with what it means to be peacemaker as a real person. And it, it's actually quite funny. It, I started to watch it and then I just couldn't stop. So I was kind of glad in some ways that I had like a long trip and long <laughs> flight because I watched the entirety of it. Silver linings, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I really want to. I really want to watch it. Um, I'm behind on all things television, to be perfectly honest. Same. Same. What is TV? Is I don't TV? know her. But it's it's really good. Okay. I highly recommend it. Isn't he bisexual? Yeah, uh, it's a little throwaway comment. Okay, because um, people talking a lot about it on Twitter. It's a yeah. It's like it's not a. It's not even a big thing. There is um, there is queer representation on it though. Uh, Love that Daniel Brooks, who was in, um, Orange is the New Orange Black. is the New Black. Yeah, she was tasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is in it, and she is in a committed, happy. I think I think she's married to a woman. Um, I think I don't think they're dating. I think they're married, and you, she's a uh, yeah. So there, there's queer rep in it. Cool. And it's quite lovely. Hell yeah. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> Speaking of white supremacy, let's talk about scary white women. Um. Okay. So uh, <laughs> I watched Soft and Quiet, which Terry, you talked about. South by Southwest, because that's where mm -hmm. it premiered. Um, it is coming out this week. Is it this week? It's coming out soon. I think so. I think it's coming out mm -hmm. on Friday. I've finally seen it. And I... Uh -huh. uh, fuck that movie. Fuck it. Fuck that movie. Uh, it's directed by Beth D. Ara 
Arejo. Um, she, she is, I'm trying to figure out, she is Chinese American and, and Brazilian. So she's a woman of color who is also, and making this movie about a group of the most horrible women on the planet. And so basically this is about a group of women who are like-minded and by like-minded is they all are Nazis and they have come together for the Daughters of Aryan Unity, the first meeting. And it's them all talking about just how they are so put upon by people of color and how people of color are the worst. And it kind of escalates from there into bad. Um, it's shot all in one take in real time, which is... In, it's insanely well done and nauseating and incredibly impressive. It definitely ramps up the tension quite a bit. But it's one of these movies that I'm not quite sure what you're what you're trying to get across is going to be get is going to be shown to the right people. Because this is a movie about the evils of white women. Um, thank God. And thank God, it's a movie trying to expose that, like, look, white women are just as bad, if not worse. They know how to weaponize their place in society to seem completely innocuous and then use it to immediately fuck over people of color. And it is very much an important thing. But my my, my concern, I guess, and maybe it shouldn't be my concern, but like, I think a lot of people who are going to watch this are going to be people who are like, we already know all this. And I think it's going to be, what's hard is for me to then be like, so what, in watching it, like, what point does it serve? Like, it's brutalizing people of color and giving a spotlight to Nazis and pointing it out, which I think is incredible. But it's like, it's this, it exists in this very weird gray area that I think is the point of the movie. I think it just gets my wheels turning in my head. I'm like, well, who's this for? Like, are any white supremacists actually going to see this and care? Like, people are going to watch it and just be like, we already know all this. But then again, if we already know all this, it doesn't mean we shouldn't not talk about it. And especially because it's from the perspective of a woman of color. It's not like a white person. Like, look, see, I understand that white women are bad, but it's like, no, no, this is how white women are. And I think it is. I think my consensus is it's an important movie, but it's really horrible movie to watch because <laughs> it's just like it's a lot of just like really fucked up rhetoric being spewed the whole time from people who are like moms and I think that it's the sh it's that shocking imagery but then also like I've worked in spaces with people like this and it's like not it seems like it's taken to an extreme and the end is taken to an extreme but a lot of it isn't that extreme except for the apple pie with the swastika in it that's pretty extreme <laughs> Yeah. Like, I, it's just, it's, it's a movie I haven't been able to stop thinking about, which is a good thing, but I just have a lot of thoughts about, like, who is it for? And I think, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> I, I I don't remember exactly what I said when I, when I talked about this, and I have not seen it since then, because I honestly have no desire to subject myself to it again because it is it is definitely a watched once never again movie um so i apologize in advance if because if, i talked to dax about it while we were at your wedding Ugh. so i apologize in advance if this <laughs> ends up coming you recorded up soon enough i don't have to watch it again i'll just rely on my memory of it like no don't make me watch it again please but what i do remember what i do remember the most in terms of um what you were saying about who the audience is, is that the thing that like jumped out at me is the way that the very beginning of the film incorporates a bunch of different perspectives in terms of like, well, this person is doing this. Like, it's not just like, these aren't people that are just like uh, carving swastikas in people and lynching people, right? There's, there's like a wide variety of <laughs> racism going on here to the point that you can actually see some some things that are that like those who um, are cognizant of it can see as microaggressions, but that 
aren't in this movie, if that makes sense. So like, so there are people I think that are going to watch this and see some of themselves in the things that are being said, even if they themselves aren't necessarily racist, they will see some things in it that like pops out then like, Oh, Ooh, like uncomfortableness. And I think that's where some of the uncomfortableness lies for a white person watching this movie is you start to see your complicity in white supremacy. Oh Yeah. And I also think that what something else she addresses really well is that like, and this, I won't spoil anything, but it goes to a point where it's like, oh, you thought this is what you wanted. But then when you're confronted with the reality of like the, the, re- the rhetoric that you're spouting will lead to this kind of violence. And when you are confronted with that violence, you no longer feel the way that you feel because you are being confronted with your actions, basically. So it's there's a couple there's a couple people in the group that are like oh we'll fully go there and committing hate crimes to people who are like oh I just believe these things but I don't believe in violence and realizing that right I think there's a really interesting thing there being like oh well if you're going to spout these kinds of thoughts and like spread these words like you are going you are implicit in cl- in creating violence or yes words but like you are you have a hand in the violence and like you are leading mm-hmm. to this. And I think it does like show consequences to people who maybe like have thought who or like have, you know, realized that words actually do have meaning. And it's not just like a fun little like a little group where we make cakes and donuts and talk about why we don't like the colored people taking our jobs. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's fascinating and disgusting, but it's a very hard one. It's very (laughs) hard. My favorite part of this whole movie is, the, is there's a part where something happens and they put a dog away. And before they leave the, this place upset, they let the dog back out because it just really was this tiny little thing of like white women will do anything for a little dog. But for people of color, they will do nothing. It's, 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 it's something. Yeah. It's a hard it's watch. It's a hard watch. I always, I mean, like, the acting in it is incredible. Olivia Lucardi, who plays, like, a very bad character in this, was also in Candyland. So she's having quite a year of playing, oh, like, crazy okay. characters, which is fascinating. Um, so it's interesting to see her in these two movies so far. Um But, yeah, that's soft and quiet. Watch at your own risk every <laughs> buddy um and what is this upcoming multiplayer horror game so while i was at your at your wedding uh or at least traveling to your wedding maybe i don't remember exactly when <laughs> tony kaufman who's in our you know our chat right now was talking to me in, in dms about how the outlast trials was doing oh. it's um closed beta this weekend and so i went out to steam and i requested access to it uh surprisingly got in and then halloween after we went to go see trick-or-treat because it's my tradition if you listen to our halloween episode Hell yeah. uh i got to play a little bit of it before the the beta went away and um i'm not 100 percent sure <laughs> what to think about the game yet because you you've played or seen outlast right? i played outlast yeah you played outlast mm-hmm. the first one i thought you had Yes. And so for those that don't know, you're like, it's it's basically almost like found footage-esque type idea. Like you are someone in, in that in the original game, you're like an investigator going into um, a mental hospital where like weird things are, are happening and you have your camera. It has like night vision and you're sort of trying to evade big things <laughs> ugly horrible things that are trying to murder you while also collecting evidence and this game is the third and it takes that premise and adds multiplayer to it oh interesting and i'm not a hundred percent sure what i think about it okay because part of what like i really enjoyed about the outlast games is that sort of sense of isolation and creeping dread that comes from it 
you know, where it's like there's that adrenaline spike of being chased, but then you're also like on your own, defenseless. You have no one else to rely on. It's you with like an asylum of horribly mistreated, monstrous creations. So when you add like a multiplayer component to it, I think with the right group, it might be good. (laughs) But like I was playing with random people and someone was clearly streaming on Twitch and was just chatting to his room while trying to sneak around this level and solve things. So it was like it kind of took out that suspense. And I do think that when you add more people to a game that is so focused on trying to isolate you and make you feel underpowered and be like the opposite of a power fantasy it's a little weird to sort of then gamify it where some people have like kits where you can heal people one is a person that can stun things like you can add different like character classes kind of to your characters and then you play with four people as you're trying to solve these tasks and so i was never scared playing the game there's a couple times there's like oh shit i'm being chased i gotta go run but it wasn't like the same sort of dread that I that I think is so effective in these Outlast games. And you can apparently play them solo. I didn't have the opportunity to, to try that with the time I had remaining. And I don't know how well it would be because the, the level seems very focused on multiplayer component of it. So I, I'm on the fence. I wanted to bring it up because it, it is uh, it's a huge, huge game. It's, I love the Outlast series. I'm just not sure that taking this and sort of adding... Dead by Dawn-esque type things, except you're not playing against other people. It's just co-op. So I'm not 100% sure how I'm going to feel about it. And I don't know about the replayability, because we only got one level. It took us 45 minutes to get through the level. But, like, how many levels are there going to be? How much replayability is there going to be to this? I don't know. But I wanted to bring it up, because it's Outlast, man. It's Outlast. That's just the thing, like, Outlast is not a multiplayer game in my head. It's all about you with your camera and not being able to see anything and trying to find batteries and getting lost and confused by yourself. Like, it's all about the solitude of the game and, like, the lack of, like, your lack of ability to see and you're completely alone. I just, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, everyone, like, the Dead by Daylight stuff is going really well and, like, the, um, fuck, what's it called? Oh, the one like Evil Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, upcoming. yeah, um, like the, Back for Blood, yeah, the one uh, Siobhan, we interviewed her. Is that, is that multiplayer? Mm-mm. Well, sort of. The I mean, I think you can play Evo. it with. Okay, yeah, you're right. Sorry, well, getting them all mixed up. But that's. I feel like there's such a push now for multiplayer stuff. It's like, oh, we'll get back into multiplayer, and it's like, but that Outlast is not a game that is meant for multiplayer in my head, and it sounds like. Um, well, did because it was the beta, right? It was just the beta. Yeah, it was just it was a vertical slide slice of the game. We just okay. got one level. <laughs> it looks like there's things you can unlock mm-hmm. by getting money that for doing well in the mission. Um, I'm just not sure. Like maybe if I had like a core group of people, yeah, that I was playing with, I just, it would be a little bit better. But just, it was just really weird with like a Twitch guy just basically yeah. chatting to his chat the entire time. Like it just. I don't like playing online. Kills any sense of dread. I don't like playing online. I don't like playing any of that stuff. Like multiplayer, online multiplayer. I hate online multiplayer. Like that's why I like games like Outlast because I didn't have to play mm-hmm. with anybody, and I could play cool horror games by myself and not feel pressure to like be really good. Because I had a lot of experience getting embarrassed by boy, like when I was younger, like boys be like, "You're bad at this," and I'm like, yeah. "I just don't play it as much as you do." So it's just like yeah. I, I think. Like, I think it might be fun, like, if, if I were playing with you and, like, a couple other people that, you know, are, that are, like, know each other and are going to approach it with, like, the intent that yeah. is it's meant to be played, you know what I mean? But I just, I don't know, there's, there's a, there's a added element of gamification, which seems weird to talk about a game that has yeah. gamification, because that's a game, but, like, that sort of extra level of meta gaming to it that I just, I'm not 100% sure is going to work with the out with Outlast. Because I think part of the reason why Dead by Dawn and all those other games are effective is because it's you versus another person. Yeah. Whereas this is just a co-op thing. And I'm like, how stale is this going to be to keep playing through 
that same well, level like, over and over again. The co-op stuff with like um, phantasmophobia, Phantas- like that works because it change. It does like it's like procedurally mm-hmm. generated with like what you. So it's the same couple of levels, but it's always a different combination of things. So it's like okay, so what yeah. are you gonna give us that'll make it feel? Because it's not. I don't know. A story-driven multiplayer game to me is not fun. I want to like you know what I mean. Like yeah. I don't know how to describe it. I'm having a bad time formulating words, but you know what I mean. I do. So I, I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm like cautious about it. Like I do think that having a, a group of friends to play with might be kind of fun, but okay. I just, I don't know if it's going to have the longevity of something like dead by dawn. Cause I don't, I think you're forcing multiplayer into a game that doesn't need it. But yeah, exactly. Like why make a maybe. game that was already single player into multiplayer, whatever. Maybe they'll, Maybe they'll blow us away. We'll see. We'll see. It played really well. Like, I was surprised at how well, seamless good. and for a closed beta that it was. But Because so I've had bad experiences with betas before, so. <laughs> uh, but oh boy. Oh, oh boy, oh, oh boy. Oh boy. Let's talk about time-traveling bears, Mary Beth. What, uh, what, was our, <laughs> what was our horror comedy of the week? So our horror comedy of the week was the 2011 Joseph Kahn film Detention, which I had never seen before. I saw it once, but I, I honestly, the only thing I remembered when I was watching this movie was uh, the Cinderella costume, which I think is awesome. Yes. And the grizzly bear. That is literally the only thing that I was like, I, in my mind, most of the movie took place at detention. In here, it's like the last half of the movie takes place at detention. So, like, I yeah, this I was, was like confused. a first watch for me. I was so confused. I'm like, wait, this is not detention. Yeah. So what 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 is this movie about, Terry? Fuck if <laughs> no, I know. No, please tell me because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the movie is about. If you were a writer and you decided to do speed and then mainline a bunch of 90s and 80s horror, teen horror movies and teen comedies and then um, snorted some cocaine maybe and decided to write the script out of everything that you saw. Yeah. Yeah is kind of what I think you get with detention. Yeah, it was basically all those things put in a blender, too. Yeah, so it takes place at Grizzly Lake, like your typical small, like shitty small town that you see in horror movies, middle of nowhere. Everyone hates high school. They've got the, you know, the jocks, the nerds, our usual stuff. I'm a bitch. Uh, that, oh my god. Uh, the H is for Hoobastank. Like, it was... Hoobastank. It's very funny watching this now, and, like, it's very 2011 in the way of that. Because I was when I, I was the year I graduated high school. So... Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So it was very funny. Like, the roar, and, like, the way people were texting. Like, a lot of it was very 2011 on point, when I was like, Ugh. Oh, God. What a time. And... It's very much a time capsule of that time as well. I think it leans into, like, Scott Pilgrim territory a little bit in terms of, like, how it uses, like, graphics on screen. And it kind of, that kind of, I feel like that kind of goes away a little bit towards the end. Like, they kind of lose steam and, like, the crazy, like, kinetic, like, editing, comic book. Everyone's got crazy, like, a million different things happening on the screen. And, it, again, like, it has that Scott Pilgrim-y vibe in terms of, like, that energy level. But then we have a we have a serial killer who is dressing up after a existing slasher movie from this world called Cinderella, which I would love. To, which I have to which say, I would love costume. to watch. I would love to watch. Cinderella. Me too. I would watch that. In a heart, Me in a too. Heartbeat. But then the killer outfit is awesome. The killer outfit is awesome. The mask is so fucking cool. But then we also have a so guy cool. who said he had spliced with fly blood. And then there are... I have fly blood in my veins and, and he vomits up acid. And then that was, like, never really addressed ever. And then there's aliens that keep showing up. And then there's a time-traveling suit, uh, suit 
a mascot outfit that one of the kids has just been turning into a time traveling a time travel machine and now they have to turn travel back in time to save the world because Ioni switched brains with her mom and then got and then rejected Freaky Friday with her mom and then with time travel said no to the principal who's played by Dane Cook as played a child by Dane Cook. as a child who then sets up off a bomb to blow up everything because he's mad so he's basically the an OG incel and is being prodded by one of them yes. he's an OG incel being prodded by another kid so there, a bunch of them are time traveling, and I don't really understand how a lot of them are time traveling. I understand how two of them are because we see them get into the bear, but there's a couple other people who I really don't quite understand how they switched brains and how they ended up in the past and the future, and nothing really makes any sense at all. Like, it's kind of just... Yeah. I didn't really understand what was going on at all. Fun. Yeah, so <laughs> I I'm glad you brought up the incel part because like <laughs> what the one thing that I thought was really smart about this is like the best friend because there's a there's a guy here who's like in love with this with the final girl and they're best friends and she's not interested in like that and it's this sort of like it's this trope that we've seen throughout again teen comedy is the best friend that is secretly pining over yeah. you know, his his female best friend. And in here, it actually digs into that character and says, uh, this dude is actually an incel because, like, his whole thing is he's being dejected and so he wants to kill everything. Like, it is, like, it is incel before incel was even, I believe, a word that we used. Yep. Yep. And so it's interesting that that is the villain of this movie. I actually really enjoyed that um but like i was five minutes in this movie and i was like this movie is a lot this movie is a lot i was exhausted a little bit at the beginning i was like Uh did i turn this on at the right am i watching the right version like it just automatically starts going and she's like b-i-t-c-h and i'm like is this a is she real is she vlogging like i didn't understand like was she making a video for like an early YouTube? Like I didn't. I hate you. I was so confused. It was just a lot of yelling and. Your lack of faith in the durability of Kesha is alarming. With the, with the acceptance, I was like, I'm personally insulted by, by that. <laughs> yeah, it was an again like it hits all of this. It's like you got like the cold, the kill, the cold. The serial killer cold open, like, you have a lot of these mm-hmm. slasher b- bits. And I think it's really smart. I just think there's too much happening. There's so much happening. But people fucking love this movie. I was looking on Letterboxd. Oh, so yeah. many people. And I was like, I didn't hate it, but I definitely didn't, like, love it. I feel like, I'm like, did I miss something? I think it might have just been a little bit too much. I think maybe it was just a little bit too chaotic for my current mind state. Like, post-wedding, It maybe? definitely... <laughs> It definitely was a very chaotic watch for me. Um, I When I had logged it back on Letterboxd, I realized that when I first watched it, I gave it a two-star. And I'm not 100% sure if that was like a memory of it or not. And I don't think it's a two-star film. I no. do think I actually did enjoy it. Um, I think it's well-made. I just think that there is an awful lot happening to the point that I just was having a hard time. We're we're trying to understand what is happening, and then all of a sudden, the jock in the movie who is obsessed with beating up Clapton, which Clapton, Clapton. <laughs> I just I texted Terry just the word Clapton earlier because I'm like uh-huh. this kid played by Josh Hutcherson, bread boy Peta himself, a cutie, patootie. cutie patootie. His name is Clapton Davis, which is the most porn star name I've ever heard. Um, but yes, anyway, the jock who's obsessed with beating up. All of a sudden, is like vomiting acid on helmets and getting his hands stuck to things that he shouldn't be stuck to. And then we get like a flashback where he encountered a meteor. So we have a little bit of like the 80s blob, Night of the Creep type aspect of it mixed with the fly because all of a sudden he has fly blood spliced in him. And his father... This part really made me laugh. His father's like, you can't have people see that you're a freak and puts a TV on his hand. Yeah. As if like, yeah. that's going to like. I just. 
<laughs> I had to go back. I'm like, did I miss something? Like, did I? What? I didn't. It just, I mean, like, I applaud them for going for it, but what? <laughs> There's a debate about vegetarianism that killed me in the film with the Canadian guy named Gord who ends up being like an alien. There's no way to actually spoil this movie because like, I honestly don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't, I don't either. There were parts where like, I'm just staring at the screen and if you're not watching the video, you're not going to get it. Or just like, and my roommate is laughing at me because she's seen this before and she remembered it. And she's like, your face through this movie, because I'm literally like, what is going on? Yep. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. And I was like, oh, I don't think I realized just how fucking cha- 2011 chaotic this movie is. Like, I under, I underestimated it quite a bit. <laughs> It's a perfect encapsulation of that time, it though. It is very, very much that one hundred percent. That was that was that did make me laugh. I was like, oh yes, very like a little bit post Juno, a little bit more not not as Juno, but trying to be a little bit Juno in the horror world. Interesting. I feel like I want to watch it again when I'm a little less like exhausted and hungover from my wedding, like just emotionally hungover from my wedding. I think you should. I think you should watch it stoned and see if it makes more sense. I was stoned. It didn't. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Scratch that idea. It didn't. I mean, like I had a great time watching it, but I, I legitimately was like, was I stupid to watch this high? Like, if I, I was so happy. I was like, I'm not gonna like give it away at first because I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like, oh, I didn't get it. Please tell me Terry didn't either, and that I was shot just like really stoned and dumb. And usually it's not the case, but I was like, uh oh. Then you're like, oh yeah, no. I'm like, okay, thank God. I was like, I know I was, I was paying attention, but it just felt like I, I felt like I was missing like five minute chunks, and I was like, what's going on? Like, I feel like I'm like losing time. Like, am I getting abducted by aliens watching this, or is it just, just fucking clobbered together? El says, to be fair, it sounds like I'd be mad if I didn't watch it high. Which I mean. Yeah. Fair. It's a little, I guess it's, yeah. Now you know, you just go along for the ride and you're not missing anything. It's just. Joseph Kahn is known for music videos. And this feels like a giant music video. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Like, when I say, like, famous for music videos, I'm talking Mariah Carey. I'm talking BB Rexa. I'm talking Jennifer Lopez. I'm talking Taylor Swift. Oh, shit. I'm talking Imagine Dragons. One Republic, Lady Gaga, like Okay, wow. So he Eminem. Oh shit. Kelly Clarkson, Katy Perry, like music videos. Okay. Cause I didn't know who I did not know who he was. I did not know who a he lot. was, but oh wow. Well that makes a lot of sense. Now that you say that. I did appreciate that he was making fun of himself, though, in the movie, because there's a there's a reference to directors uh, or vi- music video directors directing a movie. There is a mention of his previous film, Torque, oh. which he so he makes fun of himself. And I think that's part of the fun. Like, I, I think he's in on the joke. It's just there's a lot happening that my brain was having a hard time. Keeping straight with everything that was yeah. going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, what are we watching next week for horror companies? <laughs> next week, we are watching Trace Thurman's favorite, one of his favorite movies, uh, Zom Beavers. So excited. This is uh, the com- one, of the com- one of the movies that the company I work for put out, apparently. So uh, very excited to experience this. This was the movie that my when my mom was looking up my job was like, did you know that they made a movie called Zombievers? And I was like, yes, mother, I do. She's like, I just wanted to make sure you knew that. <laughs> Surprisingly a fun She's movie. Like, from what I remember. Group, right? Zombievers. I'm like, well, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's about par for the course for most places in the horror. Yeah. So. 
surprisingly good though i'm excited but um so okay little cuts aside who are we talking with on monday mary beth so on monday we are chatting with the costume designer for freaky eyes of my mother and the upcoming we have a ghost whitney and adams and we are talking about ghost the ghost the movie we sure are and we recorded this a long time ago, and I don't really remember much about the conversation, except that it was a cursed recording. So I'm going to have fun editing Yay, that this week. Yay, curses! <laughs> Woo! Yeah, that was recorded a while ago. But yay! <laughs> so listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Right? Am I doing this right? Am I doing this podcasting con- conclusion right? <laughs> the conclusion of the podcast. <laughs> Did you watch a film that we watched... <laughs> You take a two-week break and it's like, <laughs> what is podcasting? I, everything has left my brain about how to be a normal person. Past couple of days, I've been like, I don't exist in the real world. Today was the first day of my apartment in like three days. It was great. Anyway, uh, anywho, did you watch a film or a show that we watched and have thoughts or just play one of the games that we talked about? A game we talked about? Do you have suggestions for things we should be covering? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGailey Treadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe, and join us on Patreon, where you could be watching this either live or in a video form. Uh, we just launched Fresh Wounds number three. T- Megan is missing. <laughs> So, <laughs> that's if you want to hear, hear that, Mary Beth's traumatizing story and my first watch of the film, ah! do it. Don't miss it. It's great. Um, mm. Thank you to Eric Parr for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.